0: Welcome everyone to the Airy Fairy Podcast, a solid look at the far out or something like that, hosted by Mary Lynch and
1: Aliki Nectaria.
0: Aliki and I are both transformational coaches at Transformation From Within Therapy Centre and we are passionate about supporting people to make lasting and rapid changes in their lives. We've been working together at Transformation From Within for over six years together And as professional therapists in private practice, we hear a lot of different and far out stuff. So we thought we'd share some of it with you. Today, Aliki and I are gonna talk about why we, as professional therapists, who've collectively spent over 20 years in the industry and successfully helped hundreds, if not thousands of people transform their lives and change their lives, are often seen as the last resort by people.
1: That was a very, very extensive intro and well done, Mary, for getting through that.
0: Thanks, aliki
1: Because you pulled the straw on the intro, didn't you, between us both?
0: I sure did. <laughs> I sure did. And that's okay. I'm cool with that.
1: Yeah. Uh, you are definitely the, the one that is able to bring that, that pragmatic approach to a lot of a lot of what we're going to be talking about today, which I am very grateful for. Um, So, being that this is our very first, very first recording, where are we going to go today with this?
0: Well, I think, Kaleiki, it may be a good idea for people to know a little bit about how we ended up where we ended up. So I can go first. Okay. My pragmatism comes from spending 20 years in the wrong industry. So some of my clients are surprised to hear that I was in IT for 20 years. Um,
1: that surprises me too, being that I've known you for so long as well.
0: I know. I don't look that old. But anyway, let's not worry about that too much. Um, but I just found that, you know, that even in that 20 years when I was doing that job, I kept waiting for it to get better. I kept waiting for it to be a bit more interesting. And, you know, you don't get to 20 years into another job to realise that some things aren't working in your life. And so for me, my life took a few twists and turns. I ended up seeking lots and lots of traditional therapy, but I found that it was actually when I started looking at the far out stuff where things really started to change for me and so it got to the point where doing my old job didn't resonate for me anymore I was unable to go to work I was feeling physically sick I was riddled with anxiety and that was something I had never really appreciated Mm -hmm. and one day I just went I need to get out and then quitting was easy
1: Mm. And here we are now.
0: And here we are now.
1: Well, I don't even know where to begin my background. Um, For me, it was more of a catalytic experience that ignited the path for me to step into this role. It was something that I feel I was avoiding a lot of my life um as a child and as a teenager I always knew that I was uh, to be involved with assisting and working with people in some way yet I had so many different jobs and so many different roles but I didn't actually feel that I was walking my true path so to speak and a catalytic experience occurred around the age of 30 where It was like all of my formative years before that were training for me to finally step into being um being the person that i was supposed to be and finally revealing that that i was in fact um a clairvoyant um a healer uh, a mystic as well which i also discovered later on and um from that point in time i was receiving a lot of um what i would call downloads or messages about the type of work i would be doing about about how i would be working with people and at that time it was so far away from any reality that i saw myself living and doing and since that experience, the shifts and the downloads and the people and the expansion just started to come into my life. And I ended up choosing particular, I'll say, training that allowed the full extent of my consciousness to to be able to completely come out and be utilised, which was something that I had hidden a lot from myself and from many people, including family and friends in my life, um, because I suppose I was in fear of...
0: What people would say? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that, isn't it? I think we all have a very similar story of that deeper knowing and a fear of being seen for who we are. So,
1: yes, as therapists, we go through a personal quest as well as one that aspires to be of service to others. And that's when I really knew that my life was about and is about service to others.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome, Maliki. And I know for me too that I jumped on certain training and had no clue as to why I was there. And I remember sitting in the room with people who were therapists for 20 years and 15 years that were there for all these reasons and all I could think of was, oh, it just felt like the right place for me to be yes. at this particular moment in my evolution. And it was. In hindsight, I trained at this incredible school of hypnotherapy that was exactly the right place for me mm. to be the kind of therapist that I've become. And I have found that over the course of my career, which is, gosh, it's over 12 years now. I just keep rolling into things that are the right things for me at the right time. I don't know how I find them. I don't know. How, I just sometimes listen to something that maybe other people don't hear um, or hear something other people don't hear and it just it makes sense for me. And I like you said,
1: agree.
0: Trust that, yeah. that, that higher guidance that you have that we all have. Mm.
1: I feel the same way about the training that I experienced. It was a very, um, I, I just felt it was a really beautiful time in my life. Being a student, I loved it. And I just knew there was no doubt for me what I was doing. I never questioned. I just knew it. I knew that this was the pathway that I was going to be living and breathing and working. And it wasn't for me I had to learn all this stuff to do it. It was I felt I knew this stuff and this was bringing it out for me to Mm. be able to really utilise it in a powerful way. And there was a point in time where if you hear me speaking now, there's a language that we have around describing the work that we do. And I I have shared with a lot of clients over time that it was like the, the language just dropped in. It, it just came in at the, at the right time for me because had I been told when I was 18 or 19 or 20 that I was going to be a therapist working with many people, um, being international, being, being popular in what I do as well and having the, the amount of responsibility really. I don't think I would have allowed it
0: well i I know I know for me personally, leaky, I never set out to be a therapist. Mm. I, I didn't undertake my initial training at all to be a therapist, but I remember sitting there just mesmerized for for five days or however long it was, and time ceased to exist for me, and that's when I similar to you i just had a deeper understanding of what was being presented to me it made sense to me in a way that my life hadn't made sense to me prior to that um and i was a bit older than you when this all happened for me um and it was a bit of a revelation but um but a really good one and i think you know once you do heed the call Once you do understand it, then, yeah, the the language does get dropped in. And I know, too, I've had experiences with clients where I'm trying to translate some of the information I'm getting and and be this conduit between deeper, higher awareness and and this plane that we live on, and it comes out in a very funny way. You said that so well. (laughs) It's just funny sometimes. and people who've seen me do it laugh at me and they go, I love it when you're doing that. and I'm like, yeah, it's fun. It's fun trying to find words for something that don't doesn't have words.
1: That's so true.
0: Yeah. so why do you think Aliki, because we've both had, I mean for me particularly, I did I had a lot of physical stuff going on <clears throat> just for me, for my for my kids, mm-hmm. um, even with my husband at times. and you know, people tend to go straight to the medical framework, to the allopathic model. They'll go to the GP, they'll go to a specialist. Why do you reckon people do that over, you know, coming to see someone like us?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. And it's that is a, a, a model that we are all familiar with. It's not just... Even us as therapists, we, you know, we're, we've been, um, we're used to that model and it plays a part. It does. We cannot talk around that negatively. It's, it's, um, it's part of the, the way in which to get started. Sometimes our abilities to seek resources when we're in a place of pain or inability um, will follow a process, a model, a traditional process, because it's been there. And a lot of people know that traditional process. So, in many ways, as to show direction or assistance, people are often directed towards what they know or what they've or what they've seen in the past, because it's it's easy to. Um, To to find the steps forward in as as the first initial point.
0: So what was the question? The question was, why do you think? Am I
1: answering the question?
0: Yeah, I think so. I I want to offer a slightly different viewpoint because I think often when people have an issue, look, and I think, and and I don't want to like you poo poo the you know the allopathic model because that there's some really good stuff in there. Um, and I actually think we should definitely work in consultation with um, me- other medical professionals. But I don't I think sometimes some, some some areas are more suited to the way that we work. Some conditions, perhaps, some um, types of issues are better dealt with in, in the kind of framework that we work in. And for me, it comes down to the root of the problem. And often the allopathic model seems to do a lot more symptom chasing than it does actually dealing with the cause of the problem.
1: This, this is something I find as well. However, it's, it's about, oh, this is a very big area to open up. It is. The more I feel into it and the more. I reflect. Okay, so when people recognise something is going on with them, there's different levels of change that go on. They they have to go through a process of um, first of all identifying is this urgent change right now is that really affecting me my life the people around me is the impact as big as it really is and I think that this also determines a lot of the severity of choice and where to go and I might be going off topic a little bit but you might have to bring me back Mary what again what was Mm -hmm. the
0: direction because you know me, I can go sure. Well you were, yeah. Well we're just talking about reactions. so we're talking about the you know why why people you know are symptom chasing rather than getting dealing with the cause of the problem.
1: Right. Sometimes they need to symptom chase as well. Because unpacking a very large core dynamic or core symptom is very confronting and challenging and at time people don't have the room and space to take on something that has been so ingrained as a pattern or choice or lifestyle or behavior to really make room to bring it completely out
0: so you're saying we're creatures of habits
1: we are we are creatures of habit and we like habit we all do Only because it creates a comfort, Hmm. right? But when we get to that point where that habit or pattern or behaviour has ingrained itself in our life in such a way, we start to feel it push against the authentic self And the authentic self starts to look at the impact and whether or not it can survive in that particular habitual behaviour any longer. Wow, you need to really bring me back down here, Yes, I know. I'm going into a zone.
0: You are, I know.
1: I'm going to stop.
0: So one of the things that I I really reflect on is who has the power in a session? Who's got the power to make the change? And, And for me, I like to think that all the responsibility, all the power for change sits with the client. And my job as the therapist is to facilitate, to bring it out, to expedite it to create the environment for the client to get what they want. And I think it's a little bit different to the allopathic model where you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you to take three pills or stop smoking or mm. exercise. Mm. So there's a very different power differential in the two models, in my view. Mm. And I think that sometimes we've been, or well, not sometimes, I think we as people have been conditioned To just go to someone else. Go tell me. Tell me what I should do, how I should be. Fix me. Absolutely, fix me. Fix me. Make me better. And you know what the problem with that is, Aleki?
1: I know you're going to tell me, Mary.
0: I am going to tell you, (laughs) Aleki. You know how I work. If that that person gets it wrong, then the client's got someone to blame. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: more lack of responsibility, more staying in that habitual place, more um, digging in that, borrowing in Correct. to that so, program.
1: So that accountability level is bypassed. Yeah. Mm, good point.
0: And that responsibility too, that deep, deep responsibility of self. You know, we need the policemen as people to tell us to obey the law. Mm. You know, most people speed. They don't think much of it. They'll just quietly speed. But if they know that there's a policeman around or a speed camera or whatever, they'll slow slow it right down, yeah? Mm. Where's our responsibility to self, to community, to?
1: I'm actually going to use that analogy that you just brought up. To transition into this to what actually creates that level of wanting to change in people because you you really you brought up a good analogy. Um, and I think it's still under the umbrella of what we're talking about today. Um, because a lot of a lot of looking for help or looking for assistance or looking for therapy or counselling is driven by the want to change or feeling or, or some sort of incident or or an upset. But understanding the the real change drive is is key, I think in in the outcome a person is to experience from this type of work that we're doing, would you agree? Yeah. So you mentioned about authority, authority, seeing an authority figure being a point of reference to to change a behaviour. Yeah. Okay, so... That's, um, that's actually one type of change. We call it enforced change. Mm. So, it's enforced by an authority, you know. Um, so, a court hearing would reprimand them mm. to, to have to make those changes. So, they have to adhere to those changes. And then we move on to, actually, first of all, did you want to add anything to that before we move on?
0: No. Could you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, you know, for me it comes down to free will as well, you know. Where's your free will and, and, and motivation? There's so much I could talk about around that, Aliki. Mm. I'm just trying to sort of keep it soundbite for today if we can
1: yes that's true so i'll move on to okay thank you for showing me the time check on that so i'm going to move it along sure um moving on to the second motivator of change so we've just discussed the first motivator being enforcement by authority yep um so what you know law enforcement or um reprimanded by a hierarchy of power the second is um compliance to escape criticism so we often say this as therapists oh my partner wanted me to come along because mm. they're tired of me doing this particular thing oh they of want therapy. me to stop
0: drinking or That's smoking right. or right. swearing yeah. or
1: yes and so they go along with something or request um, in order to seek approval yeah. and um, fulfil another person's expectation. And often that type of change motivator doesn't really succeed in the overall objective yeah, because the real intent hasn't quite been met from the person themselves. The third type of change is intellectual. And we see a lot of these people as well, don't we, Mary? Yeah. They absolutely know it. They understand it. They can see it. They come in. They have wonderful self-awareness, wonderful insight, wonderful intuition as Mm. well. And they intellectually see the whole impact it's making. They understand the pattern. They understand the need. They understand the benefit. But they still haven't quite made it to the really deep I need to change now
0: type of a situation. So it's not quite there still. For me, these kinds of people tell themselves lots of stories about why they're the exception, about yeah. why they've stuffed it up or why that's not working for them. Mm. Um, so yeah they're in their head a lot is what I like to say
1: absolutely and then we work to work we move on sorry to the the fourth and that is the real place where you emotionally feel the impact you're just physically spiritually mentally emotionally at that point where you cannot keep living life in the same mm. way. And that's what we recognise. We know as therapists when a person is at that point. Yeah. We do, don't we? Because we well, most
0: people can mumble, muddle, you know, muddle through, right?
1: That's absolutely.
0: They can run a marathon with two broken legs, you know, they've hurt their back or whatever, they just keep going. But it's really when... You know, the rubber hits the road, That they just, and you, you get that look where you know they, they're done, they're cooked.
1: I love your metaphors.
0: <laughs> Can't help myself. It's how my brain thinks, Aleki. Well, the whole life's a metaphor, you know, but we're not going to go there today. We're going to try and keep it light and simple. Small bites today. Small bites, yeah. So getting back to our topic yeah, then, Aleki getting back to our topic around and just tying it all together. So you saying that for all those factors, someone will just prefer to go to one-stop shop to try and get a solution to a problem, to try and keep everything the same. Cause that's what I hear too. I hear, Oh, I, I, um, I want to lose 10 kilos, but I want to have chocolate every night for dessert. Okay. Can we, can we do that? Uh, I, I want to stop drinking but I just want to have a drink on the weekend with my mates. Yes. So do you reckon it's that kind of thinking that prevents people perhaps from using us as their first resort and getting to us as the last resort?
1: I definitely, I definitely think that is a major part in it, yes, in the ne- negotiation yeah. of, of the terms of change. So they negotiate well, I'm prepared to do this, I'm prepared to do this, I'm prepared to do this, but I'm not prepared to do that.
0: Yeah. Well, I reckon, Aliki, that's a good place for us to finish for today. If anybody wants to hear any more about what Aliki and I have been talking about or have any specific questions or just generally want to reach out, please uh, email us at airyfairypodcast at gmail.com that is a-i-r-y f-a-i-r-y podcast at gmail.com goodbye from me mary lynch And and
1: goodbye from me also
0: see you guys bye bye